0: Once again, I appreciate the presence of each and every one of you here this evening. I hope everyone's had a good day. And uh, tonight, I want us to take a few minutes to talk about the grace of God. No outlines this evening, but if you would, take your New Testaments and open to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. I'm not sure exactly how often you all have conversated and had discussions with people regarding the grace of God, but there seems to be, I wouldn't even describe it as a slight difference, but there's a major difference as far as how the Bible describes the grace of God and how many other people describe what they believe the Bible to teach regarding the grace of God. I've heard it said that many in the churches of Christ, whether they are members or those who just visit and attend one, grown up in one, many have said that they very rarely hear lessons on the grace of God. I believe that's untrue, and and tonight I hope to present enough evidence for you to understand that every single time that we get up, whether it's me or whether it's Brother Bruce or, or somebody to present a lesson, they are presenting to you the Word of God. They are presenting to you the grace of God when they preach the gospel. And a lot of times what it boils down to is, is that when people say that we're not teaching enough grace, it's very similar or likened to when people say, you know, we don't really want all that doctrine stuff. We don't really want all of the apostles' doctrine. We, we just want Jesus. Just preach Jesus to us. Just tell us, you know, uh, that, you know, where He just says, go and sin no more, and He doodles on the ground for a little bit. Uh, when He washes the feet. Uh, of the disciples, just tell us about the, the good nature things, the things that we believe and the things that we construe to be as good. Just tell us about that. But don't tell us about when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, Don't tell us about Jesus in totality. Tell us what we want to hear. And what was it that Paul said to Timothy? He said... There's going to come a time, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but what will they do? They will heap up for themselves teachers because they have itching ears. So they're going to heap up for themselves teachers that's going to scratch those itching ears and tell them what they want to hear rather than tell them what the truth of the matter is, telling them the gospel. And I submit to you that the grace of God is no different. What it boils down to is is that when brethren say that we don't preach on the gospel, or, excuse me, on the grace of God enough, what they're saying is is that we don't sound like the denominations. That is what it boils down to, and it's problematic because if you don't think it's infiltrating the church, I won't do it here. I will be happy to supply you with evidence where it is happening in the Lord's body. And so we need to be mindful of these things. And so here in Acts chapter 11, we're going to start at around verse 19. And I want us to, to think about what did Barnabas see. That's the title of the lesson um, I plagiarized this lesson. A good friend of mine, he preached this lesson about two or three weeks ago. He sent me the recording, and there was some things that needed to be done, so I fixed up the recording. I edited it for him and fixed it. And The next thing I knew, he sent me the sermon outline. I said, okay, well, I'll rework that outline to make it fit my description, the way I would preach it. And so it came, uh, Brother Jeff Asher preached this sermon titled, What Did Barnabas Say? And I thought it was too good of a message to pass up. So Acts chapter 11, let's start at verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed... The grace of God. So this is the punchline. This is the the verse where the sermon's title comes from. When he arrived, when Barnabas arrived and witnessed or saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with, with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to dictate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution to the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders." So what does it mean to see the grace of God? Well, obviously context is important, right? Context indicates as to what is in view. What did Barnabas see when he he says that he saw, that he witnessed the grace of God? I submit to you, if you look at verse 20... He says, there were some men of Cyprus and Serene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks and preaching the Lord Jesus. Seeing the grace of God, what he saw was he saw the effects of what transpires when one preaches the gospel. I'll give you an example. This morning, we saw the grace of God. Now, obviously, I preached on elders, on appointing elders, and I took just a few minutes to also offer up an op- uh, opportunity for an invitation. And Brother Jeffrey Johnson, this morning, he sat through Bible class during our Bible class, on starting in Hebrews, which was a brief introduction, if you will, He heard the gospel message through the Bible class. He heard the gospel message this morning when I preached on the appointment of elders and giving of the invitation. And he responded to the gospel call. You all witnessed the grace of God at work. You saw, you witnessed God's grace. At work. Barnabas, what he saw was people turning to the Lord. They were preaching to the Jews only, but all of a sudden now, they begin going out to the Greeks and preaching the gospel. And the Greeks, what are they doing? The Gentiles, they are responding to the gospel call. Even looking further on into this context, we see and we read about that there's a famine that's coming about. And what do they do? They, they gather up a contribution to send off to Judea, benevolence. If you have ever been benevolent, given of yourselves, you are witnessing the grace of God in your life because it's part of the gospel. But before we go any further, I want us to go back to our Old Testaments and let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 18. Because the premise that I want us to understand is that Barnabas saw people turning their lives around. They were repenting. They were changing. The gospel was changing them as individuals. They weren't as individuals changing the gospel message. And that's what we have today. That's why there's over 45,000 different denominations. Because people are changing the gospel message and they are not being changed by its message. They are not being moved by God's power. That is what's occurring today. But over here in Ezekiel chapter 18, you drop down near the end of the chapter to um, verse 27. Look at this description here, verse 27. Again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness which he has committed and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Because he was cons- he considered and turned away from all his transgressions which he had committed and he shall surely live, he shall not die. This is the message that's being preached now to the Gentiles that Barnabas is witnessing. But the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not right are are my ways not right o oh, house of Israel is it not your ways that are not right Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that the iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will they die? Because they remain in their sins. That's why they were die. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. Now, if you go over to Acts chapter 26, we see in Paul's discourse with Agrippa, Acts 26 and verse 20. Well, actually, let's start at verse 19. It's a little bit better. He says, So, Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the regions of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. When those deeds are made known, when they are made evident, and you are seeing these things, what you are seeing is the grace of God at work. It doesn't matter what I get up here and preach on. I can get up here and preach on instrumental music and versus a cappella singing. I'm preaching the grace of God. If I get up here and I preach on the Lord's Supper, I am preaching on the grace of God. If I get up here and preach on modesty, I'm preaching the grace of God. It doesn't matter what it is. Because we are preaching for people to change, to repent and turn. That is the grace of God at work. And that turning act is to obey the gospel. And we have a slew of evidence. You have the people of Samaria in Acts chapter 8 starting at around verse 5 through 13. What did they do at the hearing of the gospel? They were baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins. And what happened? The apostles heard that Samaria received the word. So they sent unto them Peter and John so that they could go lay their hands on them and they could receive the Holy Spirit. They could receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They received the grace of God, they obeyed the gospel. You have the Ethiopian eunuch later on in that chapter, verse 35 through 38. That is witnessing the grace of God. Philip was preaching to him. He, came, he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone teaches me? And so he started at that scripture, which was Isaiah 53, if I'm not mistaken. I should have looked that up before I got up here. But he began preaching the gospel... Preaching about Christ, he preached Christ to him. And when he got to water, he says, See, here is water. He preached the grace of God. He preached the forgiveness of sins for the Ethiopian eunuch. And so they stopped the chariot. And they both went down into the water and he was baptized for the remission of his sins. Look at Acts chapter 19 real quick. Uh, 8, 9, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 9, verse 18. This is in reference to Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul. Look at, starting at verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may gain, regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And Ananias witnessed the grace of God. In that moment where Paul, well at the time Saul, had turned and responded to the gospel. Cornelius and his household in, in Acts chapter 10 starting at verse 44 through 48. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them that were listening to the message. Okay, well that wasn't the means of their salvation because they're still not saved But what's been poured out upon them? The gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what this text says. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, he says, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, can we? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they stayed on for... A few days. And so that brings us to Acts chapter 11. It's the same thing. They were preaching to the Jews and to the Jews. And then finally, it opens up to the Greeks. It opens up to the Gentiles. And Barnabas witnessed the grace of God. He saw people being added to... The Lord's church. Look at verse 23 here in Acts chapter eleven. Look at verse 23. So we see, then he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with all with encourage all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Okay? Well, for one, so when he sees the grace of God, he's happy. He is glad, He is joyful. He's encouraging in turn because he's encouraged, what does he do? He encourages them. He's happy about what he saw, what he sees. and so he exhorts them. And so to me, I believe when it says that he exhorts them that he encourages, it's that it's the idea of encouragement, which Barbus is also known for being the son. True to the Lord and so, or cleave unto the Lord. Literally what that means is to remain in place. And so figuratively figuratively it means to adhere to. And so he wants them to remain in Jesus, remain in the Lord. And so verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and considerable numbers were brought... To the Lord. When people are added to the Lord's church, you are witnessing the grace of God. People were added to the Lord's church back in Acts chapter 2. You just go back to Acts chapter 2 and look at verse 41 and 47. Starting at verse 41. So then those who had received His word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They weren't added before baptism, I can tell you that. You cannot witness the grace of God if you are preaching another gospel. That's why Paul tells them in Galatia, he said, I'm shocked that you are so soon removed from Him who called you. Through what? The grace of God. Because they have accepted another gospel. If any man comes to you, doesn't matter who he is, though an angel or we, and he preaches another gospel to you, let him be accursed. Verse 47 here praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You cannot see the grace of God if salvation is not in the picture. Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Because that's something to glory in. That's something to be joyful about, to be happy about. There's nothing good about someone getting up, preaching a message that does not bring about life everlasting. These people were not added to some denomination, however that is, I don't know. I can tell you what they say and what they believe, but it's not biblical, it's not scriptural. When people are baptized into Jesus, they are added to the Lord's body, to His body. Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23. So those who are added to Christ, they belong to Him. We are His possession. When Barnabas saw the grace of God, he saw the church assembling together. He saw them worshiping together. He saw them teaching the gospel. Look at verse 26 here in Acts 11. Verse 26, and we, when he had found him, he brought, brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so here's what we need to understand regarding the assembling of the saints. There is a design and a purpose and a reason behind the assembling of the saints. The reason why the assembling of the saints is important is because it was designed by God for doing the work of the Great Commission. We all know the Great Commission back in Matthew chapter 28, right? Let's go back to Matthew 28 real quick. And let's just look. Let's see if we are fulfilling our duty and our obligation to the grace of God in fulfilling this great commission. He tells us in uh, verse 18 and 19, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are we doing that? teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Barnabas saw the church assembling together and teaching, he witnessed the grace of God. They continued daily in accord with one another. You see there back in Acts chapter 2, I guess I should have told you, just put your markers to Acts 2. You see there in Acts 2, in verse 46, 47 46 and 47, day by day, with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were uh, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. A Hebrew writer tells us not to forsake the assembling of our own selves, as is the matter of some. So, think about the assembling of the saints. We witness the grace of God every time we assemble with one another. Thus, this is the reason why we pray. This is the reason why we sing. This is the reason why we give and why we teach and why we preach and why we partake of the Lord's Supper. So back in Acts chapter 11... Let's start here in Acts 11. I tried to make it where it's all in a line, where we don't have to jump back and forth. Look at verse 20. Acts 11, verse 20. But there were some of them, that of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So we see preaching involved. Look to the next chapter, chapter 12. Look at chapter 12, verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were what? Praying. That was an assembly. And when they were together, they were praying with one another. Go over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Let's look at what this says. Verse 7. On the first day of the week... When we were gathered together, is that an assembly or not? When we were gathered together to what? Break bread, which is an idiom for the Lord's Supper. Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 20. Paul tells this church at at Corinth, he says, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now what he's not saying is, and this is something, something foolish I've just recently heard. He's actually saying, well, you're not supposed to assemble for the Lord's Supper. It's like, really? Are you reading that whole context when you make that argument? You're literally taking one verse and you're saying, well, see, Paul's saying don't meet for the Lord's Supper. That's not what that verse is saying. He's talking about their abuse of the Lord's Supper. When you came together, you came together not for the better, but for the worse. You are worse off when you come together because you're acting like a bunch of animals. You're acting like a bunch of heathens and you're not worthy to take of the Lord's Supper. And what you're doing is not taking the supper. You've turned it into a common meal. I don't know if anyone's seen it. Uh, I meant to pull it up and have it up on the PowerPoint, but I totally forgot. But here recently, it's going to be within like the next week or so, I believe, there's a group, I'm going to leave their name out of the sermon, that's been advertising a worship assembly and that you have to purchase tickets, and the tickets are like 25 bucks. And what I tell y'all before, I've said, in order to keep the people coming, you have to amp amp it up. You can't just offer coffee and donuts. You can't offer just hot dogs and and Cokes. Steaks. Dry-aged steaks. Come to worship with us, and we're going to give you David's Burgers dry-aged steaks. But it's going to cost you. It's like, do you people not read John chapter 6 when Jesus warns them? He says, Don't labor for the food which perishes. What about in 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? And they're just open and brazen about it. Come worship God and eat a steak. That's not spiritual nourishment. That's not gospel. That's not witnessing the grace of God. That's carnally minded. In fact, it's sinful. That's what it boils down to. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What does he say here at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 14 and 15? Look. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also, also, and I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Was this not an assembly? He's writing to the church, which is when the church comes together, it's a what? An assembly. So, thus, why we sing? Go to chapter sixteen, chapter sixteen, verse one and two, well, one through four. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So all these verses are reasons why we pray and sing and give and preach and partake of the Lord's Supper. But I have a final few passages that I want you to consider this more, uh, this evening. Go back to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And let's start at verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. What does that all consist of? What's everything that we've been talking about this evening? Are we continuing in the grace of God daily in our lives? Not just when we come here, but when we walk out, the, walk out of these doors. Are we going out and teaching people? Are we sharing the gospel with people? And I'm not talking about getting your Bible and standing in front of someone and, and having a pulpit in front of you and having a bulletproof, you know, bullet lines of text and all that, you know, presentation. You don't have to do all that. You can do that by by the way you live. Your disposition on life. How you respond to people. But he's urging them to continue in the grace of God. What is that in in the truth? In the faith. Anytime we preach ...of something regarding the faith... ...we are preaching the grace of God. And then finally Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and then the lesson will be yours. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared... ...bringing salvation to all men... ...instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires... ...and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. There, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Are you continuing in the grace of God? Are you witnessing the grace of God in your life? Because if you're not, then there needs to be some self-reflecting going on. We need to put up God's Word as a mirror to us and see, do our lives mirror what this teaches? Not saying that we have to reach sinless perfection. No one's going to do that ever. That's why we have God's grace. Because He knows we're not going to be perfectly sinless. However, He does make us blameless. He does justify us. He makes us righteous through Jesus Christ, His Son. In just a moment, we're about to be singing this song, I Am... The vine, ye are the branches, bear precious fruit for Jesus today. If you're not bearing fruit in your life on a daily, you cannot be witnessing the grace of God in your life. And if you're not witnessing the grace of God in your life, how can we say for certain that we are saved? The Bible does teach eternal security. It's for those who persevere in Christ, who remain faithful unto death. Won't you be one of the ones who remains faithful unto death? Don't you want to be one of the ones that wants to hear, Well done, good and faithful servant? Because if we hear, I never knew you, you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, that's the end. There's no redos, there's no start overs. So with that, the lesson is yours. If you're here tonight, you need to obey the gospel. Just know, your faith, your obedience to the gospel, we all witness the grace of God. The preaching, you've witnessed the grace of God. Your response to the gospel message, maybe you've already obeyed the gospel, but you recognize that you need to be reconciled back to God that you have sin in your life. If you need the prayers of the congregation, guess what? You are therefore witnessing and experiencing the grace of God. So if you're here tonight and you need to render obedience to the gospel or you need the prayers, we are here to help you any way we can while together we stand and while we sing the invitation song.